Hello and welcome to Talent and Titan, a podcast for current and future leaders in the advertising, digital, and design spaces. Talent and Titan is produced by Creative Niche, an innovative staffing, recruitment, and executive search firm in downtown Toronto. You can find Creative Niche on all social medias at Creative Niche or at the website creativeniche.com. Today on the show, we have Maxime Kramer, a software engineer at Artsy, which is an online platform aiming to make all the world's art accessible to anyone with an internet connection. Maxime was nice enough to visit me for a chat on a Sunday afternoon before flying home to London, England. During our conversation, we discussed how she got into computer science, what it's like to work remotely in London for a company based in New York, the benefits of working and traveling alone versus in a group, and lots more coming up next. Actually, it's definitely a story of where people have given you kind of a chance and then suddenly things happen. Right. Um, so someone at my work where I used to work, SwiftKey, mm-hmm. um, encouraged me to apply to this. Uh, it was like 25 women, like 25 under 25 women in tech in London type of thing. And um, so she nominated me for that. And I ended up on the list, which meant someone else spoke about it, which meant someone who organized a conference found out about it and got right. in touch. And so that was kind of how I did my first talk, um, which you can't find online. And I still think is my best one, actually. Oh, um, really? Yeah. <laughs> how come you can't find it online? It wasn't recorded. Oh, oh it was just a... Okay, yeah. I see. And what was the nature of that talk? Um, it was also about user testing. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that was a, a topic that resonated, apparently. So I got asked to speak at other places, and that's kind of how it went. Okay, cool. And how do you prepare for something like that? Were you a natural public speaker? Not really. Um, I I don't know. I, I like public speaking, mm-hmm. although I didn't really do it before in any kind of official way. I think I, I did do debate, debating in school. Um, but the way I approach it is what do I think the the audience would like to know? Like what's the main takeaway of the talk and what is useful to them? Mm-hmm. Um and that topic kind of came to mind because I was like, you know what, I feel like being a developer, I've learned a lot doing user testing sessions. And I think it's really important and interesting to add to the workflow. Um, and I think that's something the audience can benefit from. So how do I structure a talk around that? And like, what is the information I want them to leave with uh, rather than just go up and talk about something? I don't right. know. Yeah. <laughs> and Not that ha- other people do that, but yeah. Yeah. Um, and have all your talks been in the UK or have you done them elsewhere? I've been various places. I've been really fortunate to go to Tokyo. That was one of my favorite ones. Yeah. Um, it was for, um, a Swift, Try Swift. It was, it's called, Mm -hmm. Uh, and they still run in both Tokyo and New York. Um, and that was really fun. I did live design for that. And And what's live design just for the (laughs) listeners? So live design, it was a fun concept I think I came up with. I had friends who did live programming. Mm-hmm. So they would explain a topic and then code it out right there and then and compile it every time to show the difference as you would move across doing whatever that was. And so 
I thought I'd do the same, but designing an icon in Sketch to show people how they could make assets or like little icons and things that they needed for their app if they, mm-hmm. you know, had Sketch lying around um, for your, you know, development side project or something. Uh, so that was quite fun. Yeah, that's really cool. That must have been quite nerve wracking. Or at least it would have been for me. I feel like uh, any kind of performance live is uh, a little crazy. I guess you, um, I practiced it before once or twice, mm-hmm. um, and I thought it was a fairly simple icon. It was about redesigning the, or remaking, it was the same design, the Apple News icon. So it just had a folded newspaper and some clouds and like a skyline, and it consisted of basic shapes. And that's kind of what I wanted to convey. Like you can make something quite nice out of basic shapes. So it was actually not that bad. It's one of the easiest okay. talks I've done, <laughs> I think. And that was in Tokyo, you said? Yes. And how was that trip in general? I've always wanted to be uh, or go to Tokyo. Amazing. I cannot recommend it enough. Yeah. Um, It was interesting in so many ways. Uh, Very different. Um, And again, going back, I think, to design, what I find interesting there is that they really go full out on, on the experience of anything that you're using. Everything has been thought about from queuing in to get into a train to mm-hmm. like when you buy bites there'll be like a little pick to eat things individually with mm-hmm. to like the fact that you can wash your hands um when you flush the toilet as it were there's it's really right. hard to explain i think in words but there's basically a little sink mm-hmm. and so the water that you use to wash your hands then fills the siphon to be used to flush after. wow it's like things like that they've thought about everything yeah which seems like a pretty straightforward idea but i've never heard of anything like that yeah yeah, I, I asked because um, I was reading a bit of your blog uh, the uh, other day. I think uh, it was yesterday. And you write a lot about traveling. And I noticed that, I think it was in your post about uh, traveling alone. Do you yes. remember that one? Yeah. Uh, you mentioned that you're more aware of your surroundings. And I thought it was interesting that all the things that you seem to take note of, like mm-hmm. street signs mm-hmm. or you know, like the, the fonts that the, every yeah. city has, like a different font that they yes. use or things like that. We're um, all kind of design-based. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I guess you never really think about that. Yeah. All of those things have to be designed by someone at some point. Absolutely. Yeah, so what brings you to Toronto this, uh, this weekend? Um, so I was here for the Design Thinkers Conference, uh, which was amazing. Uh, RGD is a really interesting organization and it's a fantastic conference that they set up, I think. Um, I think people were surprised that I came from the UK because it seems oh, really? to be a very Canadian. Um, the audience seems to be mm-hmm. mainly from Canada, um, but it was fantastic. And was it your first time uh, to the Design Thinkers Conference? Yes. Oh, cool. And what were some of the interesting takeaways that you uh, have? Uh, so one big difference with developer conferences um, is that the it seems to be more applicable over time, mm-hmm. whatever it is that people have done and share. So there were fantastic people on stage that talked about their careers that have been like, you know, 10, 15, 20, 25 years long and spoke about different projects that led them to this or where they learned, you know, something else. And it was really amazing to walk through all of that with them. And you realize how much of it is still relevant. Mm-hmm. And you can envision a bit like, oh, yes, my career, you know, I will do things as I get older. Right. And I will, like, see times change, but I will adapt and so on. Whereas with developer conferences, um, a lot of it is about what's going on right now. 
-hmm. and what would you might want to change to optimize for right now or you know a year or two ahead but it's very much about i'd say the time span from you know two years back to about two years in the future that's all you talk about mm -hmm. um so yeah big difference and you were coming from london are you from uh london originally are you from the no, uk i'm not i'm originally from amsterdam holland oh or very the netherlands cool. <laughs> And is that kind of like where you grew up and... Mostly. Yeah. And did you go to school uh, in Europe as well? Yes. And where did you go? What did you study? Um, so my university was actually in, in uh, the UK, in Scotland, Edinburgh. So that was very fun. Oh, very um, cool. But I lived in various places up until age five because of my dad's work. And then we kind of settled back in, in Amsterdam. And we have, um, I don't know, just your typical typical like primary school and high school there mm -hmm. um and i had to study a lot of different subjects for that um so we did six languages and all kinds of sciences and things like that and when i graduated i um there were a lot of things i was interested in mm -hmm. but i've always been into computing like since i was very young and so it seemed like a degree that was both useful and really fun to do mm -hmm. and that because it ticked both boxes i think right. it was very interesting and it wasn't a six-year degree like something like medicine or you know yeah yeah things totally. that i'd considered so uh and i wanted to do it abroad so i went to the university of edinburgh for it and yeah how do you think you got into it from such a young age it's kind of a were your parents uh in, like working in that field or anything or no or, no an, just, an older sibling or no nope. it was just <laughs> something you naturally gravitated towards Pretty much. I saw my dad on the computer. So we, we got a computer when I was five and it was mm -hmm. a compact. It ran Windows 95. This was 1995. Um, and he was, I don't know, he collects stamps. So uh, okay. he was like writing a list on notepad or something mm -hmm. about the stamps that he was missing. And uh, every night he was on the computer doing something like that. So I was like, what is this? What goes on? Like, what are you doing? Uh, so he kind of showed me around a little bit and was like, oh, here you can click and you can open this game or here's paint. And that was it. From that moment mm. onward, I was on the computer all the time um, and just taught myself more and more about it. And then I think I was 11 or 12 when I started making websites. Oh, wow. And I had Photoshop. Um, and <laughs> um, I didn't really know what to do with my design. So that led me to start making websites because then I could use right. them and, you know. And how did you learn to make websites at that age? Did you teach yourself or just... I read a book. I, I found a book on it. Uh, it was still quite basic because it was like HTML and CSS. Mm -hmm. And I tried a little bit of PHP as I got a bit older. Um, but at the time, wasn't that necessary yet. You could do a lot with just HTML and CSS. Now that would be, you know, very little. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> you can put a static image and some text on, but yeah. that would be it. Uh, but back then it was sufficient. Hmm. So, yeah. And uh, did you always want to kind of do more of the programming and developing side or more of the uh, design side of things? Or it kind of sounds like you've managed to do both. Yeah, I've always pretty much done both. Um, originally, I wanted to do design, uh, mm -hmm. go to somewhere where you could learn like 3D animation. I wanted to work for Pixar or something like that. Right. And this is when I was about 13, 14. Um, and eventually I decided, ah, that's, I don't have the patience to make those 
insane worlds and mm -hmm. render all of that. I mean, it's amazing and beautiful. I have a lot of respect for it. I'm very impatient. <laughs> Maybe also not a good trait for a programmer. Um, <laughs> and then I, like I said, I did computer science because I thought it was interesting, but I knew I wouldn't want to be a programmer. Because at the time, like you would write software and ship it on a CD, and, and that was that. But because the uh, iPhone came out, that got announced when I went to university, suddenly you could make things that people would hold in their hands. You could right. make someone's day. You could, you know, add something useful or nice or pretty or beautiful to their experience. And that I loved so much. There's a little, there's, it's a very small gap between you and the person using it, I find, when right. you make mobile right. software. Which is really, yeah, I guess at that time it was quite a novel idea, but it's so uh, yeah. you know, commonplace now. Yeah. Yeah. So that made me stay in software development after mm -hmm. graduation, which I didn't think about it too much anymore um, at that point, but I didn't originally anticipate going into programming. Right. And for, um, for the design um, uh, stuff, mm -hmm. it's not a great term to use, but were you also self-taught? Um, in yes. that regard. Yeah. Wow. So, uh, that's pretty interesting. Do you, or do you still find yourself teaching yourself new things like today? Um, yes, especially off the back of the conference. Um, yeah. but I think last year I, about the last 18 months, I took a bit of a break because where I work currently, I don't do a lot of design with my work anymore. Um, mm -hmm. and we switched technology recently, um, from using, Objective-C, which is what you use to overall to use to make um, iOS apps mm -hmm. and a bit of Swift to React Native, which is Facebook's framework. And that was that took a lot of my extra time to really right. get up to speed with that. So I didn't have a lot of time to do mm -hmm. extra design. Um, but yes, I, I read about it a lot. I try and make time to sketch things and, and you know, try and make things. But it's different when you do it, I think. Um, with a specific purpose or on a project. Right. Because um, you have a bit more of a goal and a reason to like design in a specific way. Mm -hmm. uh, but I try and do that myself as well. Yeah, it's a bit more linear that way maybe. And from an engineering perspective, um, it's interesting because we do a lot of our work open source. Right. And it's, I think it's a very cool concept. It's one of the few um, kind of real apps out there that are open source that have, you know, a mixture of Objective-C, Swift, React, React Native, um, and isn't like a library or a tidy project, you know, like right. it's, it's a messy, big, you know, uh, full on like used, uh, or a production project. Mm -hmm. Um, what I do there, I am, I originally joined the mobile team. We've now moved away a little bit from that, from viewing our engineers as web or platform or, or mobile. Right. So I sit on what's called a collector GMV team, uh, which is about our collector facing product. So a big chunk of artsy.net as well as the iOS app um, that people use to browse like works that are interesting to them. And with that transition, we've moved to React, React Native, which means that a lot of the things we make can be used both on the web and um, on the phone. So that's really nice. Mm -hmm. And I work remote, which is an interesting thing as well. Right. You work in London. And where's Art, Art, Artsy's based in New York, is it? Yeah, mostly. That's our HQ. And how do you find that experience? Is that the first time you've had a remote position? Yes. And it was definitely interesting. Um, I had to get used to that. 
the time difference is fine. It's only five hours. So you mm-hmm. actually get a chunk in the morning to do stuff. And then the afternoon is meetings and, and you're fine. I have friends who work with San Francisco and that's much tougher. Yeah. Um, so first thing that people think is time zone differences, which is really not that bad. Right. Uh, it's more that I'm the only engineer in London. I am part of a small team there that works with um, the partners that we have in um, in the UK mm-hmm. and across Europe and Africa and Middle East and, and so on, actually. Um, but I, you can't just go over to someone and say, hey, like, what's going on with this? Or right. do you want to chat about that? But we've come to really adapt to that. Most of my team is remote. My manager is remote. He's in Amsterdam. And uh, we have a teammate in Berlin. We've got a few in New York. Wow. Um, one is currently in Bali. Crazy. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's nice because when more people in your team are remote, it means a lot of the communication is accessible to everyone. If mm-hmm. you're the only person who is remote, right, yeah, the in-office team has to put effort into making sure that, you know, everything kind of gets logged or at least the most important things do. Um, because otherwise you miss out on that conversation that just happens at your desk that Mm -hmm. can be important. Um, and yeah, it's just about staying up to date and communicating really well what you're doing, what you're about to do, what you just did, um, and so on. Right. So, um, what does an average day of of work look like for you? I know that's probably a super loaded question, but. No, sure. Um, I sign in, um, and I check Slack. We do use Slack, as I think a yes, lot of we use Slack as well. <laughs> <yep>. <laughs> yeah. A lot of companies do nowadays. So I check if there is any outstanding messages, like what's happened. Um, I usually say hi. We have a separate channel where we kind of, because we again are not in the office, we check in there and say hi and ask how people's it's the water days cooler. been. Yep, pretty yeah, much. Okay. <laughs> um, it's specific for our team, but yes, yes, that kind of thing. Cool. And um, I look at what tickets I've been working on so what kind of action items um and continue that another thing we do a lot is review each other's work I think this is very common in design as well um but we open pull requests so you've got the code base that -hmm. lives in master on github and then um you are working on something so you propose a change to the main code base and that's separate and when you finish that piece of work or even if it's in progress you can already start tagging people who can have a look at it and collectively the team can decide indeed like we're gonna merge this in Mm -hmm. or actually shall we change this or i saw a typo there or how does this work you know it's a chance to ask any and all questions um and you get assigned them as well so usually i try and check on that as well and get back to other people uh, as well as looking at any comments that i have on the outstanding ones that i've opened and yeah, continue working. And then usually from about 1 or 2 p.m., the meetings start. Right. Uh, which aren't even that many. Our team is actually pretty good at not overloading with meetings. Mm-hmm. Um, goes on until about 6. And that's that. And do you work from your home or do you like to go to a local cafe or something like that? Or what's your preferred? Or we you are actually opening an office, which is very oh, exciting. Oh, wow. That is yes. exciting. Uh, we have a co-working space. It was about five to ten people for uh, a year, and then now we've grown to like fifteen to twenty people. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and our office is almost finished. I think we're moving the first week of December. It's very exciting. Yeah, it's so soon. Yeah, um, so that's in London. Mm-hmm. 
but sometimes I work from home as well because right. um, I sit with our gallery partnerships team who obviously talk to our partners quite a lot, mm -hmm. which is really interesting. Actually, I love sitting with them because you learn so much about our product and how the rest of the company interfaces with it. Um, but on top of that, then it's nice also to work from home about two days a week or so because uh, it's a bit more quiet and I can get a lot done. Kind of buckle in. Yeah. Right, right. And were you, uh, were you interested in the art world before you um, applied to this job at Artsy or um, was it kind of a natural fit for you or are you, uh, you know, um, learning a lot about it as you go? I learn a lot about it as I go, definitely. I mean, it's um, a big topic. So. It is, and <laughs> yeah. it's fascinating how it all works. Um, I've been interested, but also I think a bit intimidated, which I think if you ask the average person, totally. that, that tends to be the response. Yeah, for sure. And um, the art world seems like it's for a select group of people mm -hmm. or something, and that's not really true. And it's one of the things that RC tries to change as well and make it more accessible to everyone. Um, our motto is a bit like making art accessible to anyone with an internet connection, right? Uh, which is quite fun. Mm -hmm. to achieve like the greater mission of uh, a world where art is as popular as music. So that really spoke to me. But I think because I do design and development, it was a good fit. Um, because we're big on something called art meets science, where we really like to have both sides of the coin represented in the people on our team, in the company, in the way we work, because it's really the foundation that Artsy's been, that it's been built on. So mm -hmm. um, whilst I wasn't really into the art world or a collector myself i did appreciate art and design and i think that was right they kind of go hand fit. in hand yeah 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 um i read on the artsy website about the i, I believe it's called the genome project the Is art genome project the yes. art genome project and that sounded really interesting um were you involved in that at all or do you interact with that or maybe you could explain it uh, just a little bit for our listeners yeah, so the Art Genome Project is something that um, is the backbone of Artsy in many ways. I'm not involved in it myself, mm -hmm. um, but we have a lot of um, amazing expert people, like art historians, um, go through the works and they've basically um, identified this huge set of genes that we could categorize and categorize artworks on mm -hmm. and artists and so on. And that allows us to really surface and personalize work that we recommend to people um, as they use the site and so forth. So I don't work on it myself, mm -hmm. but indirectly it, it surfaces in all the work that I do. Right, right. Yeah, it's very cool. Um, I mentioned uh, earlier the uh, yeah, your blog, which yeah. is actually... I enjoyed reading it a lot. Okay, thanks. Yeah, <laughs> I don't I, do that much with it, but yeah. Yeah, I'm, um, I read uh, your post today about uh, packing yes. for trips. Yeah. I'm going on a trip in Christmas, so I think I'm going to use a lot of those tips. Great. I'm happy um, to hear that. Yes, you work remotely and alone sometimes. Mm -hmm. You uh, talked about traveling alone mm -hmm. and you know, being um, more aware of your surroundings, more focused, not mm -hmm. having to compromise. Uh, and these sorts of things. I was wondering if you found um, working remotely or working alone had some of those same benefits uh, as opposed to you know, going into an office every day. That is a good question. Um, it does, 
whether that's something you want or not is mm. is up to the individual. I really like interactions with people throughout the day. Right. So it was quite tough getting used to it. But it's true that you also learn to let go a bit more. I think when you're in the office and you talk to everyone day in, day out, you know how you can get very into it. And you're mm -hmm. just like, oh my God, this thing happened or, you know, this happened in the meeting and I'm, I'm you can almost feel emotionally attached and upset if, or, or you know, Absolutely. extremely happy if something goes good or bad mm -hmm. or something like that. And working remote, it does, you do have a bit more, quite literally distance between you <laughs> yeah. and, and the work and um, it makes you more focused and more able, I think, to do, um, it de again, depends on the person that you are. For mm -hmm. me, it definitely made me a lot more focused. So you mentioned that art, um, when you were talking about artsy, that's kind of like the intersection of art and science. Mm -hmm. And earlier we were talking about, you know, your background in development and design. Mm -hmm. Or is development even the right term? Or should I say I think so, programming yeah. development? Either or. Um, yeah, do you think there is an intersection at development and design? Or do you think they're, do you think of them separately or kind of two uh, sides of the same coin? Or I think there's always a space for that. Mm -hmm. uh, in many ways, it's becoming almost asked of developers and designers now to know a lot more about, quote unquote, the other side. Right. Because um, I think as you develop, like you know that it's more and more people that are touching whatever component you are making. So you have to keep the end user in mind. And equally, I think as a designer, you need to know the technical limitations and be possibilities and benefits and so forth of a platform that you're working with mm -hmm. um, in order to make your designs really efficient or you know beautiful or useful or wh whichever way you want to, whatever your goal is. They are at the end of the day still fundamentally different I think mm -hmm. skills, and not even just the skills, but the time that you have to focus on them and make them great. People are used to really high quality apps and websites nowadays. Right. So it's very hard to make something like that with just one or two people, mm -hmm. I believe. Um, you want your backend engineer to really know about security and to not, you know, get into a case where the, the logins and the passwords get released or get, you know, something like that. You want the designer to spend their time focusing on like what the user will go through. And you want the developer to spend their time, the front end developer, to really then translate that experience into a good, you know, working piece mm -hmm. of software. So I think the limitation is more time. And then as the more that you spend on that, the better your skills are in that area. So you end up becoming right. specialized over time anyway. Um, but it is becoming more holistic overall, I believe. Yeah, and I think you're not the uh, first guest or probably not the last guest to, to describe that kind of shift that's happening now mm -hmm. um, of you know expecting people to be more well-versed in kind of more areas, mm -hmm. or at least maybe not well-versed, but um, empathetic. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so um, just going back, uh, what, what attracted you to want to study in Scotland um, as opposed to anywhere else in Europe? First of all, Edinburgh is beautiful. Like, if you've not been, I've anyone been. who's listening, please go. It's stunning. Um, I I travelled a lot being young, mm -hmm. uh, which I was lucky to do. My dad worked for KLM, the Dutch Airlines, um, and my mum is uh, from elsewhere. She's not Dutch, so I've had family in various places in the world, and I I love Holland. I grew up there. Um, I just didn't quite want to stay there. Right. Uh, it wasn't necessarily for me. 
So I started looking at other options to to study abroad. And to be honest, North America uh, was just very pricey. Yeah. Um, and I don't know, originally I didn't really think of the UK. Mm-hmm. And then I kind of went and I was like, actually, this is amazing. And I love the programs and the universities and, and just everything about it, the culture and so on. So I got accepted into Edinburgh and they had a really great program on computer science. They, they called it informatics and there was robotics as well. And there was machine learning and artificial intelligence and all of these wow. different aspects, mm-hmm. which I loved. Um, and it meant that I could go straight into computer science because I knew that's what I wanted. And correct me if I'm wrong, from what I understood in especially America, your two f- first years, you do take many different courses before yes. you specialize. And I don't yes. know how it works in Canada. That is how it works. Okay. At least for I took a BA, and that's how it worked at my yeah. school. Yeah, exactly. And I knew I wanted to do computing. So mm-hmm. um, in the UK, you kind of start straight away with your subject. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah. Do you travel to New York a lot to to work with the artsy team there, or do you primarily stay? Uh, we get to go a few times a year, mm-hmm. uh, which is very lucky. Uh, I just came back from there. Basically, it was a combined trip. I did both New York and Toronto for the conference. Toronto, sorry. Um, and yeah, I would say between one and three times a year. Right. I go there and I try and spend some time there with the team. And um, this time it was great because I worked very closely with some of my teammates that are based there and got a lot done. And I work with our analytics team quite a bit so it was nice to be there in person i did some various you know presentations and workshops for other people in the company Mm -hmm. there which i do in london as well but it was nice to to bring it over to new york right right and uh yeah it's it's a great opportunity to be there and you know get to absolutely what um what kind of workshops would you would you uh like do while you're there so this is a thing that I've been working on, uh, at least in the London office last year, where I... So there are two sides to the coin. There's art and there's science. And mm-hmm. equally in our company, there are people that know the art world and then there are the people that know product and engineering. Um, and kind of product engineering design is, is the other side, I would mm-hmm. say. And because our team in London is very much focused on the art world and they're very intrigued obviously by the products and and would want to know more about them i started doing sessions that i've called engineering insights as to like what happens when you click this button or follow an artist what are all the processes that then are involved what is an api what is a server like how do these things work Mm -hmm. um which i've kind of always done um but made them more structured sessions so every month i go over some new product developments as well as a topic of mm-hmm. interest um, to the team. So it could be the Art Genome Project, it could be new things that we're working on, um, it could, yeah, anything, to be honest. Oh, that's very cool. Yeah. Do you find any major differences between doing workshops in London versus in New York? So I've only done one workshop in New York. Um, and I don't know, I think in general I find the the culture uh, the work culture and the way people are slightly different in New York versus London but both are wonderful mm-hmm. um but also in New York I think people have access to that information more easily because all of those teams are based there right. whereas in London I tend to kind of be a almost a you know translator or introduce you know I just pass mm-hmm. some information on um to the team there so the focus of the workshops are slightly different as well 
Okay, cool. And how long have you been living in London? Did you go there immediately after graduating? Pretty much. So London, uh, about five years now. The UK, nine. Um, and yeah. Oh, great. I think those are all the questions I have. Is okay. there anything that you wanted to kind of plug or, or promote? So I just started on a thing that I'm going to be doing next year. It's kind of, well, I don't know if I want to call it an extension of the engineering insights. Okay. But I'm helping women entrepreneurs uh, with their technical ventures by hosting workshops. So there are five workshops I'll be doing next year um, on different topics because mm-hmm. I often end up having coffee with these great women who want to start a business and it has a technical component. And, right. you know, like you can do a general assembly course on how to write a website, but that doesn't really, again, answer those questions of what's an API, what's a server, what are mm-hmm. the components I need in order to make this happen? Like, who do I need to go to? So um, that's a project I'm doing. Which is kind of cool, I think, but I don't know. Yeah, don't know what, how it what's fits the name? Or... Do you have a name for the project, or do you have any specific dates of when that will all be happening? No, I will be doing uh, my first workshop towards the end of January, early February in London, um, and I will. I think the name is basically going to stay my kind of online name, Menenia. So, and I'll be putting out some online content as well Fantastic. at some point. Um, Where did you get the name? Can you say it again? Menenia? Menenia. Menenia. Yes. What does um, that mean? Or... So Menen is kind of my Ethiopian name. Okay. Um, my dad always calls me that. And so I was 13 when I got my first domain, which was extremely exciting back in the wow. time. When you actually have hosting and a name to put your site on. That's amazing. So because he got it for me, it made sense to do something with, with Menen, but it was already taken. So I kind of made Menenia out of it, and that's been my kind of screen name domain name everything since and that's the name of your blog right yes so it's you've had that domain since you were 13 pretty much yeah wow that's amazing although the content has changed like of course of course yeah there's nothing on there from that long ago and right. i think it will change again because it will reflect this these workshops that i want to do right right so i don't know where my blog's gonna go but um yeah it just made sense to keep that the same i think because uh it's kind of to me, the name means like what I'm about. Mm-hmm. Um, and because I've always been about trying to bridge those gaps or, you know, help one side understand the other side a bit better, you know, whether that's design or development or, you know, um, entrepreneurs and, and different technical components or aspects to a, you know, a new venture. Um, that's kind of what I love to do. So I decided to keep that name for it. Oh, very cool. Thanks. Well, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to do this. Thank you for coming in on a Sunday. Oh, and dedication. You as well. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, have a great flight. You're thank leaving you. tonight, right? Yes. Okay. Last minute podcast. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Sure. And that concludes my conversation with Maxime, who once again was nice enough to chat with me before heading to the airport and heading back home. I hope you enjoyed our chat, and if you did, I would encourage you to subscribe to our show on iTunes and at talentandtitan.simplecast.fm. If you'd like to hear more from Maxime, you can follow her on Twitter at Menenia and read her blog at menenia.com. That's spelled M-E-N-N-E-N-I-A. Talent and Titan can also be found on Twitter and all social medias at Talent and Titan, as can our sponsor at Creative Niche. I'm your host, Christian Gilbert. Thanks for listening, and take care. Until next time, cheers. Cheers.